Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the seventh day of March 2014. And today we are reading from the big book. We're in the chapter, More About Alcoholism, and we are on page 30, the last paragraph that begins, We Are Like Men. And today's readers are 12 Steps, Susie K, 12 Traditions, Melanie, Readers, Sharon, R.S., Chelsea, Lauren, and Hoodie. And the share code for yesterday, Thursday, the 6th day of March, is 6005. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Susie Kay to please read the 12 steps. Hi, this is Susie Kay from Maine, a a recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Susie. I will now ask Melanie to please read the 12 Traditions. Thank you. Good morning, Monica. My name is Melanie C. I'm calling in from Oregon today, recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, The only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, 
OA as such have never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on the Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Cast. Thank you, Melanie. How our, Melan how our meeting works... Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone in order to have a quiet meeting Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we are resuming our study of the big book. We are in the chapter more about alcoholism. We're on page 30, the last paragraph that's beginning, We Are Like Men. And I will ask Sharon to please start reading here. Thank you. Good morning, Monica. Good morning to all on the line. This is Sharon, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater and very, very grateful to be on the line with you this morning. We are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither, neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there has been brief recovery, followed always by a still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. This paragraph is is it's quite startling. It's very startling. We are like men who have lost our legs. I mean, is Bill serious? I mean, is this an exaggeration? I mean, people who have lost their legs, what is is that how alcoholics are? And I, I think the, the thing that this makes me think about is, is doctor, the doctor's opinion and where he writes on page uh, Roman numeral 30, all these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. And then it goes on, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And it says that, uh, further down on that same page that much has been written pro and con, that, but among physicians, the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed, doomed, that and doomed 
there is a hopelessness about alcoholism, about the true food addict. And you know, we've talked about the different types of alcohol of alcoholics and food addicts. But the for the true compulsive overeater of which I am one, there I truly am like a person who has lost their legs. And I know I when I came to that reality at my meeting and, and talked about it and really it just hit home that I was like I was like a person who couldn't walk by on their own. I would never, ever, ever be able without unaided without help I alone by myself I cannot function. I am truly like a person who has lost their legs. That means that there's something about me that's missing. It'll never, ever, ever, once you lose it, you'll never get that ability back. Once you lose the ability to control your food, you will never, ever again, ever. And it just, we... I had to accept that with all of my mind and heart and being. And it's not easy. But we had a joke in my room. They called me stubby because I, because I talk about it so much that because it, it, I just had to accept it. it or else I would, because I was in the rooms for 10 years. And I kept thinking that I had legs, so to speak. And then I'd jump down and start trying to walk. And then I realized that here I am falling on my face once again, face down in the food. How is it? It's because I couldn't accept that I didn't have legs. I didn't want this to be true. I wanted life to be different. I wanted my life to be different. But until I could accept in everything that I am and that it's okay and, you know, there is, we have a solution for no legs. And the solution is every day to get up and put on the prosthetic, the prosthesis that I, I, and then I can walk. And if you look at me today, you would not even know that I don't have any legs. I walk and I run and I look normal. I live a very normal, a wonderful life. But I can't do it by faking it and pretending that I don't have this disease without doing a few simple things every day, without getting up every day and accepting, I'm a compulsive overeater. I am never going to be normal, and that's okay. My normal is broken, but as a result of this program, working this program, I have I have things that I can do, just like that person who has no legs. I can put on the, on this program of recovery every day. And with that, I can look normal, act normal. And in some senses, I can be normal. But I will never, ever return. I can never return to be a normal eater. And I, if for me, that's okay. I can't change who I am, but by the grace of God, I've got resources so that I can live a happy, healthy, wonderful life that I've had. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? Rose? Good morning, Rose. Go ahead. Good morning, Monica. Thank you. Um... My name is Rose. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in um, Hankins, New York. The two sentences here, um, we have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there has been brief recovery, followed always by a still worse relapse. Well, those are definitely written on my forehead for the nearly 39 years I spent in OA, rooms, meetings, sponsors, food plans, um, 
on food plans, breaking them, lying, cheating, getting another sponsor. And the power behind that insanity for me is so brought out in this one paragraph. I did not accept that I was like a man who had lost his legs and I could never grow new ones. I was uh, hell-bent on proving that I could and that I would on my um, own will. I could do it. I was Rose, and I had power. I didn't know what was said in doctor's opinion, that I had a disease, that not only was I allergic to the foods I ate uh, constantly, but I also had a worse part of the disease in my mind that told me that I could beat it. I could beat it. And, you know, the words that are written in the big book here and the power from God that was given to Bill Wilson to put this down so that the 75 years later it has saved my life. And I I was 100% hopeless. Uh, I, I didn't think ever, ever, because I was delusional. I was a mental defective, believing I could rest a recovery somehow by a magic something that would make me abstinent, keep me abstinent. And all abstinence meant was I could eat the way I wanted and, and weigh what I wanted. It had nothing to do with a psychic transformation. And this paragraph, for me, it just, the power is in, in every one of them, but it is so outstanding as to what happened to me in 2012 as the result of this book, uh, first getting sober with food and then having enough clarity of mind to be brought through this book and be given the instructions that I now have daily that I live by. So with that, thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Rose. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Sally. Go ahead, Sally. Hi. Linda from Florida. And I I think I heard, was it Linda? Yes. Okay, Sally and then Linda. Thank you, Monica. Good morning, a vision for you. It's Sally in South Jersey. I'd like to speak to this sentence. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. Those words like other men are words that are being uh, put before us repeatedly in this page and on, on this first page, page 30, and also on page 31. We see in the first paragraph, tells us in the middle of the paragraph, countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. In the next paragraph, the delusion that we are like other people, or presently maybe, has to be smashed. And they tell us we are like men. We're telling us who we're like and who we're not like. And finally, in this top of this page, on page 31, it tells us, Again, uh, it says, bottom of 30, neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. And even in the next paragraph, the very last sentence, we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. And, you know, I think that what they're presenting to us here over and over and over is our desire to be like other people. I spent years of my life trying to convince myself that I could be temperate, that I could be balanced, that it wasn't healthy for me to take on a position of being black and white, of not having any at all, or binging completely and eating everything until it was all gone, black and white. But they're telling me here that I'm not like other people, and I can't get caught up in the question, the question that is infused with so much shame Why can't you be like other people, Sally? Why can't you? There's so much shame in that word, why? I've stopped asking that question of myself. It doesn't really matter what other people think anymore. I don't 
look for their approval about what I eat or what I don't eat. It doesn't matter. What matters is that I know that I understand who I am. I'm not like other people. I cannot be temperate or balanced when it comes to certain things, sugar, flour, other things as well. But that's what it speaks to my heart here on these pages, that it tells me over and over, who are you? Can you come to grips with who you are? Because until we know who we are, it doesn't matter at all what other people think. It just matters that I understand completely who I am, and I'm not like other men. Thanks for letting me share. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Linda, you're up. I'm Linda, recovered sponsor in South Florida, and I want to thank you for doing service. Uh, these paragraphs are very powerful. I've been in program many years, and when I first came in, it was very clear to me that I was not like other people and that I did have a disease of overeating and various foods that triggered my compulsion. However, of late, since I've done the steps with a vision sponsor, I know today that I have a soul sickness. And so in steps one, I was convinced after doing a lot of research out there for many years and then coming to believe that a power greater than myself who I choose to call God, would restore me to sanity. And I just want to say that losing legs, you know, one of the wonderful things that my vision sponsor did with me when she took me through the work was to work on a lot of visualizations. So when we were reading this morning about we are like people that have lost our legs, men who have lost our legs, to me my visualization is my higher power, I'm on his shoulders and he's walking me through these steps and these traditions. I can see myself on the beach, and I can see him holding me. Um, I just got back from a trip in a, a tropical country, and my higher power was with me in all areas of recovery. So I just want to share that where I am right now in my recovery is that I am convinced that I am a compulsive overeater and that my trigger foods will set me into my mental obsession and I am also convinced that the only antidote for me today is to enlarge my spirituality and to have total reliance on a power greater than myself. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Okay, well, this is Monica, and I would like to. And um, I am still a real compulsive overeater. And it says, neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. And it goes on to say, um, there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. And this is true back in 1939 when this book was published. And here we are, 75 years later in 2014, and this is still true. And the big book here is trying to, to get across to me that I am a real compulsive overeater, and I have a disease. And this chapter is dealing with the mental obsession part of my disease, my crazy thinking, my delusional thinking, the lies that my my brain tell me, and um, um, that I need to get this through my head, that I do have this disease, and I always will today I die. I am a real compulsive overeater. But they have a way out, and that's the hope with all this. The hope with all this, that there is a way out. Having done the steps, I have been given a spiritual awakening. My life is different. It's not. I don't think this way anymore. I know there's there's hope out there. I know there's something better and different. And would anyone else like to share on this um, paragraph here before we move on? Barbara? Barbara. Go ahead, Barbara. Thank you. This is Barbara. I'm a recovered compulsive reader. Um, I'm remembering my first sponsor who pointed this out to me. And even though I had tried what I considered every imaginable remedy, you know, from childhood, you know, diets, fasts, pills, shots, groups, therapy, 
religious guidance and on and on, as it says, ad infinitum. I didn't want to hear her say, we are people who have lost our legs. We won't. I said, no way. I'm going to find a crutch if I have to accept this partially. But I was determined not to, not to accept this, and that was a downfall for me. And even then in the program, well, uh, every imaginable remedy. I work certain, ste- certain steps harder, certain tools harder, certain meetings, certain special sponsors. I mean, anything but accept my powerlessness and resigning. Dear God, I resign. I needed to hear that. And to accept that my life was unmanageable by me alone. But to be like other people today is like to be like the wonderful people on this spiritual path, trudging that road of happy destiny as we are, and not trying to put on the old legs, which took me no place but to uh, doom and misery and the bakery and the pit. I mean, that's where the old legs took me. And um, the new way is, uh, is is amazing to move from being crippled by it to, to this miraculous recovery. So I thank you and I pass. Thank you, Barbara. Let's move on to the next paragraph. And Chelsea, could you read, please? This is Chelsea. I'm a recovered overeater. Despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe that they are in that class. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exception to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. If anyone who is showing inability to control his drinking can do the right about face and drink like a gentleman, our hats are off to him. Heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. I'm still Chelsea, and I am a compulsive overeater. And now here they're saying, despite all we can say, they can talk until they're blue in the face. It doesn't matter if we still think that we can beat the game somehow. They can go on and on, and they have. They've laid out a number of things here. But they're telling us that the delusion that we have developed will try to convince us otherwise and we'll try to control it that way and the self-deceptions and the experimentations we can go on and on and on with them and many have here already said what they are and stuff i mean i had a deception that by the time i got to 200 pounds i would be able to draw a line in the sand and stop gaining weight that's a deception and delusion that i had for myself so I experimented with different ways to not get to that 200-pound mark, and that could have included a number of things, including purging and binging and purging, binging and purging. Then I had to redraw that line. I had to erase that one, and 250 came into play then. This way that would give me a feeling that I'd be able to manage. I'd be able to then at that point, self-deception and experimentation again thinking that a diet could work. This is really telling me that diets are not going to work for me. And as long as I think that I can, there's still some kind of chance that I'm not doomed by this disease, there's still some little chance there that I will be able to control it. I'm still going on self-propulsion here, self-capital S-E-L-F. And I still think that there's some vestige that I'll be able to do to, to not be like these other people. Another thing I suffered from in the same area here was thinking that I was unique already. I already had terminal uniqueness disease, only I didn't think that it would turn out to be that being unique meant that I was a compulsive overeater. That's what would separate me from the the pack. But, of course, my conception of it was completely different. So on and on with trying different things. Maybe I won't eat skin off of the meat. Maybe I'll just eat the pulp of the meat. Maybe I'll just drink liquids today. Maybe I won't. More deceptions and everything, thinking that was good. Maybe I'll do 90 meetings in 90 days. That might work. No. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll give extra service. Maybe I'll find the right sponsor, you know, somebody who could really handle me and get me on the right track. None of that's going to work. And these folks are saying, despite all we can say, we can go over this and over this, but until, like it says on page 30, until we fully concede to our innermost selves that we are this thing, alcoholics, 
the first step of recovery, the delusion. Until we can let the delusion be smashed, we're going to go and try something else. If we're the real alcoholic, it says, not the moderate one or the one who's just a little upset, you're going to eat your way through a divorce or, you know, you broke up with your old man and then you're going to just maybe gobble up your way through that and then you'll get back on track and you, you will. But if you're the real alcoholic is what they're telling us here, <laughs> that's not going to work for you, okay? And they're really humble here, too, because they go on to say our hats are off to you. If you can do that, if you can accomplish that, hey, run with it, beautiful. We're happy for you. That's humble. That's humility, something that I certainly didn't possess. I was thinking I was, you know, this whole terminal uniqueness of mine. But for these folks, the we who are saying, despite all we can say, it's on you. They, they said they could lay the spiritual toolkit at our feet. It's up to us to pick it up. If self is my problem, at least I know, and thank God I've found out, God as I understand, that this obsession can be removed, you know, and that my thoughts today are more of how can I be ser- of service to somebody else, to get outside of self, to be others-centered. And all I had to do was be willing, patient, and do labor. Do the steps, actually go through the process, because then I won't be dealing with these self-deceptions and experimentations, thinking I can control it, drink like a lady, eat like a lady, not pull in the drive throughs not stop at every eatery along the place, on your way home at every eatery. Before you can get home sometime, often ripping open stuff to get something in your mouth, and God forbid if it should fall on the floor of the car or something while you're driving, watch out, other people. I may have to bend down and pick that up risk an accident just to grab a piece of food that dropped. And I still had a bunch on the sides, plenty of food, but that one piece that dropped became paramount. Self-deception experimentation. And this is what this is trying to drive home, that until we fully concede to our innermost selves, and not just fully concede, actually do the work, then we will suffer from this part, the greater part of our disease, the unmanageability, the mind the obsession that says it's okay to keep doing the same thing over and over and expect a different result. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Chelsea. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Can I share? I heard Larry. Paula. Paula. Kim. This is Bella. Can I share? Hold on. I've got a list going here. I heard Larry, Paula, Bella, Kim, and it was someone else, but we'll start with that. Okay? Stephanie. All right. Larry, go ahead. You're first. Okay. Thanks, Monica. (laughs) Uh, Larry, uh, recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago. Thank you for your service, Monica. Um, Self-deception. So what what are we talking about here? Um, That's a real nice way to say um, what I was doing. Um, it's very clean. Um, I lied to myself. <laughs> That's what I did. I lied to myself over and over again. Because really for me, the, the pain of accepting the truth appeared to be greater than the actual truth that I was indeed a compulsive overeater. I didn't want to accept that truth. It was painful. It was anxiety-provoking for me. It got to the core of my being. So I didn't want to be like you. After all, see, if, 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 I was, if I was like you, perhaps I'd have to change. There's nothing worse than change. I just want to stay the same. I want to blend in. I want to belong. You know, so I was to, and I don't want to belong to your group. So I was to continue to self-deceive, to, to lie, to maintain the delusion that I can control this thing. That was indeed, you know, a, a very deep, profound level level of self-deception. I mean, how dare you tell me that I have an obsession of the mind? An allergy I can accept. You know, an allergy, that, that almost seems like outside of myself, you know? You have an allergy, some hives, you know. I don't see allergy that way anymore. But yeah, if I eat the food, I feel a little different. That's outside of myself. But an obsession of the mind, that's like mental illness, maybe I'm insane, there's stigma attached to that for me. I don't want that. So watch this. I'm going to control it. 
I'm going to control it. And 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 watch me do a, a, another diet. You know, mm, uh, no offense to these diets because, by the way, all diets work for normal people, but I ain't normal. So Weight Watchers, uh, I'll use the points, and you know, eventually it'll point me in the direction of pizza. You know, Nutrisystem, I'll eventually, I, I eventually, <laughs> I threw out about six to seven hundred dollars of their very perfectly balanced food. It was very balanced. I threw it all out. I'm not like normal people. Atkins, you know, all the things. And I'm not knocking any of these. You know, they all work for normal people. I'm not normal. I'll start with a steak and I'll eventually eat the whole the whole cow. You know, my point is if, if you have a disease like mine, and I don't know if you do, um, there's ways to find out. It talks about it in the big book. But only a spiritual awakening can solve it. That was what I had to concede to myself. So control. Do I have the power to direct my behavior? Can I stop binging? Yes, I can. I did it hundreds of times. Can I stay stopped? Nope. Never. I never could stay stopped. You know, and the methods, could liposuction surgery work? Nope. Tried that twice within two and a half years, right around my belly. They went through the same holes. Um, they were happy to do it. About ten, twelve thousand—I don't know, fifteen thousand dollars of money that I didn't have. It was merely a band-aid. These are all band-aids for a person like me. A new relationship—that—that that was good. I, I tried that twice. Um, more relationships. Another diet. Another job. Another pill. Another hobby. Another, another trip. Another book. I was always searching outside of myself when, indeed, the solution was found, you know, by a power greater than myself that resided within. Or I tried to get to, have you ever been to Someday Island? You know, someday, someday I'll start this. Someday I'll, I'll work the steps. Get there. You show me first, God. You show me first that you're there. You show me, then I'll do it. I had to believe it first. I had to believe it first, and then I, without, in the midst of the uncertainty, the uncertainty, because I, I saw it worked in you. Yeah, it worked in Kim and Leah and all these great people. It worked in them, but it wasn't going to work in me, see, I, you know, so, so show me first, then I'll do it. No, the, the disease beat me down, and uh, it made me reasonable. It choked me out. It drowned me, you know. I came up gurgling, swallowing salt water, you know, that type of image. And um, eventually I, I had no, it was the last house on the block for me, you know. And then I started to work the steps, and amazingly my life has been transformed. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous, and with that I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. Paula, you're up. Our one to unmute, Paula. Sorry about that. This would be Paula, recovered compulsive reader. The first word is despite. Despite all we can say, this goes way beyond words. There's a line before that science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. Science cannot touch the soul. Despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics, the last thing I wanted to be was a real alcoholic. Pretend, yeah, let's just pretend. Are not going to believe that they are in that class. Why would you want to? Why would anybody step up and say, yep, that's the class I want to belong to, the last class I wanted to belong to? By every form of self-deception to mislead the mind. To mislead the mind, the body will follow. And so would my life as it deteriorated. In experimentation, they will try and try I did. Nobody tried harder. Or perhaps some did. I don't know. But I gave it my best shot in every which way. Exceptions. And that's what I was trying to do. Not me. Not me. You? Oh, yeah. But not me. To the rule, and that was the rule. Therefore, non-alcoholic, 
You know, each line opens a door as one is closed. If anyone who has shown inability to control his drinking can do the right about face and drink like a gentleman, oh, yeah, many times. I can. Stay stopped? Never. Heaven knows. You see, I had to catch up with heaven. Heaven already knew what I did not. We have tried hard enough and long enough. And only when we've had enough will we finally turn to drink like other people. That I did. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Bella, you're next. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Monica, for leading this meeting, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. I love this paragraph because, yes, I see the picture. Yes, this is it. And many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they are in that class. Yes, they believe. They believe the, the, way, the way we believe, in what we believe, this is the way we act and we live. And yes, before the program, I choose to believe that I am not in that class. No, I didn't want to say that I am in that class. I, yes, I was heavy. I saw the pictures. Yes, I am heavy and I am overweight. But nothing to do with me. It's because my parents, because my husband, because my society, because, because, and because. And I believe in it. So I wanted to change everybody, but not myself. If I will be able to change everybody, the whole entire world, then I will prove that I can lose the weight. It's nothing to do with me. And I choose to believe that way. And this is what I believed. And this is the way I lived my life. And thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I came into the program and I learned that I have the power to choose the right choice one day at a time. And I am responsible of my belief. If I want to believe that I can be connected to God and this connection will help me to live in freedom, I will do everything to prove it. And yes, today, one day at a time, my belief is that I know I am human, I have limitations. Yes, I believe in this. It doesn't make me lower or less important. It's the opposite. Yes, my belief brings me to live in freedom. I don't want to prove that I am perfect. Not anymore. I believe today that I am human and I have limitations and I have the opportunity to learn every time new things because I don't know everything all the time. And I believe that I want to be connected to God because my connection to God, my connection to the higher power, a greater power than myself can bring me to to live my life in freedom. And yes, I do believe today that I am a compulsive overeater and I don't have to live in a jail, in a jail that I put myself before. Today I believe that I can live in freedom by being connected to God 24-7. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Kim, you're next. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, they or we or me, I try to prove myself exceptions to the rule and therefore non-alcoholic. So I just want to share a couple of those self-deceptions to see if anyone else can, can relate in. You know, I don't know if you ever got to the point where the only mirrors in your house were from the neck up because if I didn't see my body, then I could deny that I was fat. You know, I had a closet full of purses and shoes and scarves 
because I could shop for those in the regular stores and deny the fact that most of my all my clothes had to come from Lane Bryant. You know, if I had enough money, I would have bought dozens and dozens of washers and dryers because it kept shrinking my clothes. It couldn't be that I was gaining weight. I had to keep the buying defective washers and dryers as my clothes seemed to shrink. I was convinced I had a thyroid disorder and that's why I kept on weight. Now, of course, I never went to the doctor. And there are people who have thyroid disorders. But I couldn't go to the doctor because then my delusion would be smashed if I was actually tested. I was big boned. That was the problem. It was my genetics. I was big boned. And ironically, when I was injured three years ago and I had to get PET scans because of the way my leg broke, one of the comments the woman made was how dainty my bones were. And I had to laugh at all that delusion I had. Maybe it's because I'm Italian or I'm Jewish or I'm Irish or I'm Mexican and that's just the way our family is. That's the way we eat. I know one of the big delusions was I don't eat that much. And when I was brought, came into OA and I was told not to change what I ate but to simply write down what I ate, I was blown away because my deception was the only food that counted was the food that I ate at meals. So food I ate at breakfast at 8 a.m. and lunch at noon and dinner at 5 was the only food that counted. And the fact that I grazed and ate all day long, I totally ignored. I was a secret binge eater. So it's only the food that I ate in public that would count. And as long as I just ate salad and, you know, low-calorie foods in front of you, then you wouldn't notice that I was heavy because I did all my binging in private. And one of my favorites, when I got into bulimia, because once again, it was all about what I looked like on the outside. It didn't matter what I did. If I could lose weight through bulimia, then I would be okay. And one of my delusions was I knew I had to be nutritionally sound. So I would eat what I thought was nutritionally sound. And then I would eat a bunch of carrots. And I believe me, I hate carrots, but I'd force myself to eat carrots. And then I would binge on all the foods I loved. And then I would throw up until I saw the carrots. And that would be the reasonable place to stop so I would still nutritionally get what I need. Now, if I said this in a meeting of not Overeaters Anonymous, people would be aghast, jaws dropping, terrified. But I am going to assume that the people on the line are understanding how I feel. Because as compulsive overeaters, as people with this twofold illness, I'm going to read this sentence again. By every form of self deception and experimentation, we try to prove ourselves exceptions to the rule and therefore non alcoholic. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And Stephanie, you're next. Star one to unmute, Stephanie. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie from South Florida, gratefully recovering recovered uh, bulimic and compulsive overeater. Hi. Uh, I wanted to share because I'm thinking of a lot of uh, self-deception right now, and it still exists, by the way. Uh, that's why I need to take two steps every single day. But I have a friend in program who says that there's no way you can pray while shoving your mouth with food. Like, there's no way you can say, God, help me, please, while putting food in your mouth. And I'm like, well, then I'm an exception because I do that. I've done that. I've done that a lot, and I was thinking of a lot of uh, instances, instances in which I was um, in relapse and trying to stop, and, and there's one that comes up, and I've been wanting to share this for a while, shared it with a few people. Um, I was driving to work, and I wanted, I was abstinent, it was maybe like mid-afternoon, and I called uh, someone in the program to reach out because I wanted to act out. And then it was a great conversation. And not only was it a great conversation, as soon as we hung up, I mean, I still wanted to eat, but I saw this rainbow. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's a rainbow. That means it's God. That means I don't have to eat. And next thing you know, I was binging. Like, I, there's always things that happen outside of myself where I was, I, I took myself to this restaurant alone to just binge. And I would get, and then I got up after I couldn't breathe anymore to throw up in the restaurant bathroom. And I said to myself as I was purging, if I come out and my food is still there because I couldn't finish it because I had been binging all day, then I'll keep going and then I'll stop. So I went outside 
coming back to my table and the food is cleared and I'm like, okay, well then I'm done. And it's just, everything was so neat about the way that I did things that I thought I was in control. Like I really thought that I, but then again, I, I knew that I wasn't, I'd been in program long enough. And that's another thing that I wanted to share. Like this program is truly like, I think, I think that I think about program more when I am not more, but like a lot when I'm in the food. It's it's like I I don't even enjoy it. I do it, and I don't know about this thing about like that I'm trying to be normal, but then maybe this self deception. But I all I'm thinking is I think that I want to be normal, and that I just don't want to do me. Like I don't want I don't know what I want. It's kind of like putting myself in a corner because I don't really want to be. I don't think I want to be like anybody else. But I just want the food to take away whatever it is that about me that I can't stand or that I can't deal with. So that's why I turn to food to begin with, a spiritual malady. So. I don't want to turn to God because it's just too much work. It doesn't work fast enough, so I turn to food. This book, this program, the steps are all leading me to God, and while I'm binging and purging, it's almost like before I go to the next stop, I'm like, oh, I know I could turn to God. I think of all the tools. I think of all the people in the program. Like, I think about that almost as much as I think about my next bite. So I don't know if that's cool, weird, or it's just my experience, and it's and it's just scary to not really want to be normal, Um I don't think I'm trying to be normal. I just don't, I just feel like I, I need the food or else. I've related to so much driving and almost running people over and getting that one bite of food when I had like food in the back seat, front seat, trunk probably that I could get like backups of. And, but I still needed that one bite that fell. I just needed every bite. And um, I don't know what I was, I was hoping something would just stop me. And that's why I love this line that says, oh, why did it change? The, oh, yeah, heaven knows. So I'm I'm not caught up with heaven yet, but I'm slowly, surely catching up. I love this line. Heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. For me, the reason I love it so much, it tells me, like, Stephanie, you have permission to stop and turn to God. And um, that's what I've been doing, and I'm abstinent. And I'm grateful for that. And I haven't, and sometimes when I share, I'm like, I don't want to say I'm a grateful, recovering, recovered, believing, compulsive reader. I don't want to say it because I don't always feel gratitude. But I know deep in my heart that if my head's, you know, not in a toilet and the food, my stomach's not extended to the point that I can't walk, I am grateful. My feelings are just not an accurate representation of how I'm doing today because if I based my, my connectedness to something, I don't always feel connected. I have to say that. I don't always feel connected, but I do what I need to do to connect and to stay abstinent for today because I am not an exception in the sense that I have this disease. I know I have this disease, and I'm grateful that regardless of how much experimentation and self-deception I possess or have done or, you know, dabbled in, I always come back, and I pray to God that I continue coming back. But I don't even feel like going anywhere. It's like I went to a meeting the same day that I relapsed, and every day thereafter. So there's gold here and I'm not going anywhere. Thank you so much, everyone who's on the line. I love this meeting and I'm always here whether I share or not. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Stephanie. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Sheila. This is, this is Sheila. Leia. I heard Sheila and Leah and we're getting and close Sharon. to the end of, and Sharon. All right. We're getting close to the end of our time here. We've only got a few minutes. So Sheila, go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, Sheila H. from New York, recovering today with God's grace. wanted to check in particularly about the self-deception and experimentation. I can't tell you how many years I've tried all kinds of different things and didn't want to accept. I even had a hard time saying I am a compulsive overeater. I used to always have this strange feeling come over me when I would say it out loud in the room. It was very difficult. Um, I still did not want to identify with this because of looking at it in my family history and seeing what it has done to people. I could not believe that uh, I was walking that same walk. So I just, I just did everything I could do and tried everything I could try, every kind of diet club, every kind of, um, thank God yo-yo stopped working. I think it's a long, if yo-yo could still work, I don't think I would be on this call this morning. Um, yo-yo diet it no longer worked, and then it started to get real. Um, today I accept it, and I know it, and I try every day to do better, and um, it's the spiritual part. It's baffled to me because I consider myself such a spiritually connected person, and if that was the case, I wouldn't have been starving to put stuff in my mouth if I was reaching for a power greater than myself. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Sheila. Leah, go ahead. 
Thank you so much, Monica, for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they are in that class, despite meaning in defiance of. You know, in defiance of all we can say, many who are real compulsive overeaters, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, are not going to believe, are going to be defiant that we are in that class. You know, it's comical and tragic at the same time. I mean, you know, I always say, you know, people with other uh, illnesses accept that they have that illness. You know, people who have cancer accept that they have cancer. People who are AIDS, who have AIDS, accept that they have AIDS. Um, what happens to people like us? You know, we may act like a compulsive overeater, look like compulsive overeaters, behaving like compulsive overeaters, uh, but we will defy that uh, truth. You know, it's only in addiction does the sufferer, when given the opportunity to arrest their illness, say, you know what, I'll think about it. I mean, I talk to, uh, you know, tens of people, tens and tens of people a day. You know, some want this thing uh, immediately, and others want to, you know, argue with the terminology of powerlessness, and they're confused about uh, the description of unmanageability, and they have difficulty with the terminology and the understanding of insanity. But, you know, when you are beaten enough, um, you know, you run towards this thing as as if your life depends on it because it does. You know, the most important step of the whole program is step one because without full admission of this first step, full practice of the subsequent steps becomes an impossibility. At least that was true for me. On the other hand, when I was beaten and mangled and bloodied to a pulp and I fully admitted the real condition, that I was in, that first step uh, became an absolute necessity uh, and, you know, to embark on the rest of the program of recovery. The minute I threw in the towel and the fight was over, uh, that surrender was not my weakness. That surrender was the bedrock upon which I was able to build a new life. You know, but we want to defy it. Our literature says defiance is a leading characteristic in people like you and I, and boy, that is true. You know, you can throw in the towel now, or you and I can have the same conversation next year, or five years from now. I mean, you can take the elevator down as far deep as you want to go, or you know what? You can get off. You can throw in the towel and say, you know what? I give up. I am who I say I am. God help me. I'm a real compulsive overeater. But the beauty about this thing is there is a way out. (laughs) There is a solution. You don't have to eat like that anymore. You don't have to live like that anymore. But willingness is a one-person job, and it starts with step one. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Sharon, go ahead. Thank you, Monica. This is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado, and I just wanted to list some of these facts that are listed on page 30 because I, too, was one of those that tried to defy all of these facts to the detriment of my well-being and the uh, well-being of others uh, by living a lie in spite of the truth that was the facts. So the idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is a great obsession of every abnormal drinker. That's a fact I have to accept, and I have accepted today. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. Fact number three, the delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. Fact four, we alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. Fact, we are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period of time, we get worse, never better. And fact, we are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. These are the facts that I accept today and have, by God's grace, laid down the defiance that I somehow, some way, could defy the truth and live a lie and not have any consequences as a result of that. So I am so grateful today to this program, 
to the grace of God who is renewing and restoring this mind of mind to sanity and can do that for each and every one of us out there on the line. And I'm so grateful for all of you and all of your service. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Monica. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with a reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And Lauren, can you please read a vision for you? Star one to unmute, Lauren. Yes, I, I hear you. I got it. Oh, okay, great. Lauren F., recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.